the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. I want to start today with the word ultimate. Ultimate. Like, like in the context of, can you imagine being the ultimate at something? Wide receiver Jerry Rice, he has like 36-some NFL records. Tom Brady is a six-time Super Bowl championship winner. Could be seven, but the Eagles beat him a couple years ago. For older folks here, the Beatles, Elvis Presley, they have sold over 600 million records. I don't even think we actually know how many records they have sold The Beatles, Elvis Presley. For younger folks here, Justin Bieber has like 72 million listeners through the streaming platform Spotify. 72 million listeners a month listen to Justin Bieber, let alone iTunes and other streaming services out there. That's just Spotify. Can you imagine 72 million people listening to you every single month? Another ultimate person is this guy named William Wild Bill Donovan. He's the only person in the military to receive the four highest awards that the United States gives away. The four highest awards. He won a ton of other decorations as well. He he served in both World War I and World War II. That was William Wild Bill Donovan. Beyonce Knowles has won like 28-some Grammys, and Simone Biles, she has 30 Olympic and World Championship medals, the most decorated American gymnast. And I could go on just listing people who are at the top of their game, people who are the ultimate, the ultimate. And I just... I would like to just know, like, hey, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to be the ultimate at at anything, at something? Well, in Jesus' day, there was a group of people, religious people, who really thought of themselves as the elite, the ultimate, the ultimate religious people, the ultimate Jews. They were called the Pharisees, the Pharisees. And we don't have time to really get into their history and and, and all the nuances to what made them who they are and, and all of that. But basically, you know, God gave his people, God gave his people Israel laws. God gave a prescribed way of living. But over the years, over the years, as they tried and failed and failed and And there's this downward spiral in Israel's history. But over the years, as they tried to live by the law, what they ended up doing was creating more laws, more traditions and customs and rituals. They they had this man-made religion that kind of that wrapped around the law, kind of started to eclipse the law. Over time, by the time we get to Jesus's day, this oral tradition, this 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 man-made religion was elevated 
to the height of scripture or even or even beyond it. And so at one point, you know, they the Pharisees and and whatnot, they they, they asked Jesus, "Hey, what is this all about?" And Jesus answers, "Hey, it's it's love God and love people. Love God and love people. Israel was supposed to be in love with God. Israel was supposed to be in love with God's character. But this one group specifically kind of pointing them out today, the Pharisees, they fell in love with God's rules. They fell in love with the rule keeping and they, they, they were bound by it. They were trapped by it. And so uh, as the story goes, uh, this guy named John the Baptist shows up and John came, he, he came in the way of righteousness. He, he was anointed. He, he was, he was God's prophet. He was the forerunner to Jesus. He came and he was getting people ready for Jesus. And he preached a message of repentance. Hey, y'all get right with God. And you know what? Jesus picked up basically where John left off. Jesus preached the same thing. The kingdom of God is breaking in, repent and believe the good news. And so many people, they were attracted to John the Baptist, but when Jesus shows up, it's just like the crowds, the, the crowds, mega crowds, they, they were so attracted to Jesus. They were so excited to hear Jesus. Jesus spoke with authority. He didn't speak behind anybody else. He was just right there, and he was speaking and teaching and telling people about the good and beautiful life. And you know what? People, the people knew that Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was authentic. And I think compared to all these Pharisees who look so high and mighty and look so clean and, and, and they look so pretty and righteous, but then here comes Jesus, this, this tradesman, this carpenter, this man of God who speaks with authority, the son of God who speaks with authority, who's authentic and genuine. And you know what? People could sniff that out. People knew that Jesus was different and they were attracted to that. Jesus encountered the Pharisees in his ministry. Jesus countered them. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 21. That's where we're at today. We're going to zoom in on a Jesus story today. Matthew 21, an episode where Jesus counters the Pharisees. He encounters them. So in Matthew 21, it is Palm Sunday. Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus does healings, he, and he, he cleanses the, the temple that day. You might recall the, the story. I encourage you to go read it, uh, re refresh yourself. Uh, Jesus spends the day in the city. He doesn't spend the night there, though. As Matthew tells us, he goes to Bethphage. He leaves town, goes to a neighboring town. That's where he spends the night. And then the next day, Jesus heads right back into the city, heads right back into the temple. And then this is where we pick up the story. Chief priests and elders, some of them most likely, they, like these guys were probably Pharisees, part of this elite socio-religious class. The Pharisees, the chief priests and the elders, they approach Jesus and they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, where do you get the authority 
to say and do these things, right? Where, by, by, by what authority are you doing these things? Like, who is giving you this, like, this credibility? Where do you get your credentials from, okay? And Jesus, Jesus answers that question with a question. All right, so we're in Matthew 21. Uh, go ahead and take a look at verse 24. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? All right, so where did John the Baptist get his authority? Where, where is his message from? So they, the Pharisees, they're discussing among themselves, and they're like, hey, you know what? If we say John the Baptist was, uh, his, his message was from God, that's going to make us look bad because we, the Pharisees, we, we rejected John, and that would look bad because that meant we would, we're rejecting God. But if we say John's message is from the people, that's a problem too. Or if, if John's message is from man, that's a problem too because there's so many people who are there thinking and knowing and believing that John's message truly was from God. And so if they say it's from man, that's going, that's going to tick a ton of people off. And so they're just wrestling around and they finally come back to Jesus and they're like, we don't know. We don't know. And then Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority do I do these things? And so now we get into our passage today, starting with verse 28. Jesus launches into a parable. Look at verse 28. He says, what do you think? What do you think? And so here we go. Jesus offers this invitation to think. He's saying, all right, I want you to form an opinion. I just want to take a moment and, and say, you know, Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. Jesus says to us too, I invite you to think about this. I invite you to form an opinion. What do you think? A man had two sons. Two sons. So, okay, I'm just, I'll just give it to you right here. This is a setup, okay? At first, it might seem like there are two identical sons. It's like, okay, a man has two sons. But the fact that there's two of them, um, what's coming up is a juxtaposition. What's coming up is there's going to be this implied comparison in this parable. So, so pay attention. A man has two sons. A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Father has two sons. He goes to son number one. I don't know if he's eating a bowl of cereal, uh, what he's playing Xbox or something like that. Who, who knows? Like, obviously they weren't. Yeah, like his father goes to son. Son is like, no, I don't want to go to work today. The vineyard, yeah, 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 no. Sorry, Dad, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm, I'm going to the mall. 
I'm getting some haircut. Like, I'm going to meet up with some friends. Sorry, I have my own thing today. But later, though, the sun changed his mind. The sun, the first sun changed his mind. And this is very critical here. Because this, the, the Greek word here is, it's not the typical word for repentance, although it does mean repentance. The son had a regret, a, 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 you know, a, a repentance. The, the, the son had a change in his mind. He thought better about the situation. And so that's important. At first, it seemed like he was headed in the opposite will of the father, but then he changed his mind. And you know what? He went to work. He went out and he got his hands dirty. And he's out in the vineyard. Verse 30. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. So the father gives the same request to the second son, and you know, in Mediterranean culture, uh, it's, very, it's very much expected for sons to obey their father, especially when like the family's estate is involved. Like this is their livelihood. It's, you know, they, they are in this together. And, and, and so like for the second son to say, hey, I will, I will, sir, but never, but, ne but then he never, he never wins. And, and he, it's like, you know, like, I know the family estate is important, but he never went. He said he would, but he did not. Now, Jesus says, which of the two did the will of the Father? All right. This is not a trick question here. It's actually just, it is what it is. The son, the first son, the first son who said no at first, but then eventually went to work, that is the son who did the will of the father. So the Pharisees, they, they answer, they say the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they go into the kingdom of God before you. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is comparing the chief priests and the elders, these, these religious elite, the Pharisees, the, the ultimate religious. He's comparing the ultimate religious to people who are despised by the Jewish community, tax collectors and prostitutes. Tax collectors are Jews who worked for their Roman overlords. They, they worked for the Gentiles Often tax collectors, they're, they're greedy, all right? They're just, they're, the Jewish people, they, they just do not like the tax collectors. And then you have the prostitutes. Now in the Greek, uh, it's kind of this umbrella term that is used for anybody who kind of does uh, various sexual sins and, uh, and, and, and things like that. But, but yeah, tax collectors and prostitutes, they are despised. They are the religious outcasts. They are not welcome in the Jewish community. Like, there are lines drawn. You are not 
like you're not welcome here. But Jesus is now comparing them to the ultimate religious people. And then Jesus says, they will enter the kingdom of God before you. Tax collectors and prostitutes. You know what? Like, 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 let's pause here. Jesus is out preaching about the kingdom of God, but it's the tax collectors and the prostitutes who are recognizing that they are spiritually bankrupt. They are recognizing that long before, way before the Pharisees ever see it. They enter the kingdom of God before you. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't condone their sins, their, their behavior. But what Jesus is doing is he's recognizing their faith. Check out verse 32 now. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds. There's that word again, change. You did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. So John the Baptist, he came in the way of righteousness. Righteousness, having right standing with God, getting right with God. John the Baptist came and showed people the way of righteousness, the right path. And Jesus is like you the ultimate religious, you religious snobs. You didn't believe his message. You turned up your noses to John's message. You're turning up your nose to my message. And now you're just questioning, like, whose authority do I have? You're not even listening to the message that I am presenting to you. Tax collectors and prostitutes, you know what? They're finding faith. They're being forgiven. They're being washed clean. They're, they're being restored to their families and relationship. And they are finding this new footing in the kingdom of God. They are on the path of right living. And you know it's the long game. It, 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 they're working at it. Their lives are changing. Freedom is, is happening more and more. They're getting it. Lives are turning around. And Jesus is like, you guys, you, you religious Pharisees, you ultimate religious people, you are seeing this. You are physically seeing this with your eyes. It is tangible. It is right there in your face. The evidence is there, but you still do not believe it. It is not changing your mind. The ultimate religious people here, they, they represent the first son. Excuse me, excuse me. The ultimate religious people, they are like the second son. They have the knowledge of the Father. They have the Torah. Okay, they, they have it so memorized. They, they are in love with the law, but they're missing the boat. They're missing it altogether. They are like the second son. Israel was God's chosen child. Israel was God's chosen child. They make all these promises to obey. I promise, I promise, I promise, but they never do. And so in, in contrast here, the religious outcasts, 
they're falling in love with God. It's like they're meeting God in a real way for the first time. They're repenting of their sins. You know, they're, they're kind of like the first son where they're like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. But later they change their minds. Their hearts are changed. Their lives are changing. And they are now living a new life in the kingdom of God. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going ahead of the Pharisees. At another point in the Gospels, Jesus says, you know, the Pharisees, they're like, they're like fancy whitewashed tombs, so pretty on the outside, but on the inside, they're filled with dead man, dead men's bones, whitewashed tombs. And you know what? The tax collectors, the despised, the rejected, the prostitutes, they're living resurrected lives. Lives are changed. People are walking in freedom. They are living out of their new identity. They are on the path of righteousness. And so here's the rub. When, when the kingdom breaks into our lives, when, we're, when, we're, when we hear kingdom news and we're invited to process the message, we're invited to listen to what we are hearing, the step that we're called to take is to repent to change your heart and mind that leads to a change in behavior. And you know what? You believe the good news. It, it's a process. Repentance and belief. It's a process. It's a point and a process. And so this is what's happening in first century Galilee. When people are responding to Jesus, they're repenting and believing the good news that God is there for them, that he loves them. And here's something that I need to preach to myself every single day, that in Christ, I am a son. I am adopted. I do not have to act a certain way to get God's love. At the heart of the gospel is not a ladder, it's a cross. Let me say that again. At the heart of the gospel is not a ladder, it's a cross. At the center of the gospel is a cross that Jesus willingly embraced to pay it all for me, for you. In Christ, we get the key. In Christ, there is a full paycheck. In Christ, there is a passing grade. And so what I need to tell myself every single day as I repent and believe the good news is that Father loves me and in Christ I am marked by Jesus Christ and in Christ I am a son, I am adopted, I receive identity from God and it is out of my identity. It is out of my identity that I strive in obedience. I, I strive for it. I, I do fail. But it's out of my identity I aim to obey. I get to do the things that God has me to do. But here's the thing about the Pharisees. They were opposite. They worked so hard. They had so much 
law, so much ritual, so many traditions and customs that they tried to keep. They worked so hard and they're like, hey, you know what? If we do and we do and we do and we do all of these things, maybe that will shape who we are. And maybe if we work so hard, God will know us. We'll be accepted by God. Maybe we'll, we'll be loved by God. Here's the message of the gospel. Kingdom good news. In Christ, God loves you. And out of our identity as a son and daughter, remade in the image of Christ, we get to do the things and follow the will of the Father. Today, you don't have to perform a certain way in order to receive God's love. You have it because of what Jesus has done for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know, religion carries so much baggage, but when that ladder slips back into our heart, you know what happens? We, we stop believing in the grace of Jesus, and we start proving ourselves to ourselves. We start proving ourselves to God. We start proving ourselves to other, to others. And, and, and it's that ladder slips back in there. And you know what? Where we, we start to climb. And so many of us, and I've lived here before, it's like we're climbing this ladder and it's like, okay, God, look at me. I'm doing good. I'm polishing as I go. I'm climbing up, God. I'm polishing. Look how pretty I am. Look how good I am. Look how perfect I am. God, if I can just keep climbing, do you want me? Do you know me? Will you love me? But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The center of the gospel is a cross where Jesus paid it all, paid it in full. We don't have to earn God's approval and love because we have Jesus Christ. So this morning, are you feeling like the first son? Are you feeling like the second son? You know, Jesus was teaching and preaching and the tax collectors, the outcasts, the prostitutes, they were hearing this message. They were like, dude, I can't climb this ladder. I am bankrupt. I am spiritually bankrupt. And I need just some straight up grace. And they were hearing the grace of Jesus and responding to it. And here's the thing about Jesus. Failure is never final. Failure doesn't define us. And so, yes, we get to trade our sorrows. We get to lay things down. We don't always get things right. We thank God that it's not a ladder. It's a cross that's already been used. It's been paid in full. It was final. It was complete. We don't need to add anything else to the cross we don't need to add anything else to the gospel. We're not going to get things right. 
we're going to be like that first son where we might, we might miss the will of the Father. We might miss the message. But then later on, we might change our mind. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to change your mind. There is freedom. There is liberty in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what we have today. I hope today's message blessed your heart. Go enjoy your Sunday. Happy Father's Day. Happy summer. Happy days of freedom. Go and be blessed. Amen.